Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You've been a coach for 10 years in football. It was 10 years ago, basically this week, that you started your coaching career, and now you're going to the Super Bowl. How bizarre is it to think that in 10 years that would happen? Yeah, it's wild. You know, that's when I got my opportunity in Miami. Um, I've been a GA for a few years before that for Mike Sherman at Texas A&M, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to get on that staff at Miami. So 10 years, it, it, you could say it's gone by fast. It feels like it's been 30. You know, you, you move so many times and you go through so many different experiences, but um, it's all paid off. It's all helped us to get to where we are today. You're going to the big game. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, this city's waited a long time for this. Uh, this coaching staff and these players have worked uh, effortlessly for a long time to make this happen. And so I'm glad they get rewarded with this opportunity. It's like a scene from The Office. Zach Taylor driving his car and talking to Peter King. I want more. We can just play that for the rest of the show. We don't need to hear from us. That's pretty good. Hey, you know, Zach Taylor, here's how bad it was after two years. There were rampant rumors he was getting fired by the Bengals after the 2020 season, so much so that the day after the season ended, they had to issue a statement saying we're not firing our coach. A year later, here he is in the Super Bowl. Well, Mike, this is going to be my column on Monday, uh, Football Morning in America, my ride-along to work with Zach Taylor on Tuesday morning of this week. And, you know, I asked him about it. I asked him about, you kind of surprised you didn't get whacked, and – and I, I thought his point was really interesting, and it goes to as much as Mike Brown is criticized as an owner in the NFL, and you talk about Stephen Ross and how disconnected he is with the day-to-day operations. He said, Zach Taylor told me, I talked to Mike Brown every day. We had talked about things that weren't going well, were going well, everything. And so I never needed at the end of the season Mike to come to me and say, oh, you're coming back next year. You know, he would have told me if I wasn't coming back. And I think that is one of the benefits over the years. 
The Cincinnati Bengals have been roundly criticized, and in many cases, rightfully so, for Mike Brown to be so hands-on, for the coaches to be asked to do so much of the scouting postseason. You know, sometimes it has driven the coaches crazy that while their peers are sitting in their offices, you know, back at their facility, maybe watching tape for seven hours and then going home and having a normal life, they're on the road for five weeks in the offseason going to see all the different players at pro days, all that stuff. But Mike Brown has a belief. His dad, Paul Brown, had the belief. If you're going to coach him, you should scout him. And I think it's really, really paid off. Listen, best example this year, the kicker, uh, Evan McPherson from the University of Florida, declared early for the draft last January. And the Bengals started investigating, looking into him, and they had Darren Simmons, their uber-trusted special teams coordinator, look into him. He spent days on him, and he came back and he said, this is the guy I want. And so when you do that, when you know that it's not just the scouts who like guys, but it is your coaches who like guys, it really helps paying off. And one other thing about Zach Taylor. I think one of the reasons why this has all worked, and obviously Joe Burrow is the biggest reason, but one of the other reasons is that this is a young coaching staff. The oldest offensive coach who touches Joe Burrow is 38 years old, you know, and that's Zach Taylor, you know. And so when you look at all of this, and all the ways that this has worked for the Bengals this year. And look, the biggest thing, obviously, is Joe Burrow. But I think their stay-the-course way is really paying off for them right now. It is amazing, and the NFL has to love this because it shows that for all the teams out there that are struggling to find their way, it can change quickly. It helps to have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Zach Taylor, but it can change very, very quickly, and it has for the Bengals, and here they are in the Super Bowl. Let's take a break. When we return, did Aaron Rodgers give everyone a hint as to where he possibly will be playing next season? A new suitor maybe has emerged for the services of Aaron Charles Rodgers. More PFT Live right after this. I'm reminded how much I dislike the new conference championship trophies, which look like oversized pieces from the Monopoly game. What was always the piece of choice? There was the dog, there was the shoe. Oh, the iron. The, hat. the iron was the, the best. The iron. I don't think I ever finished a game of Monopoly in my entire life. It's just like you do it for an hour and a half and you realize this is going to take forever. Let's, you know. Hey, listen. Let's go watch Mike, one of the three channels Mike, if you and I TV. played Monopoly, if you and I played Monopoly, I guarantee there would be blood. <laughs> hey, can, can we get can we get a better still frame of my face? My wife at one point is going to see that and be horrified. It's bad enough she doesn't like this, but uh, that's even worse. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, that was pretty good. Well done, EJ. Uh, time now. How do you make the transition? Time now for today's speed round, brought to you by Verizon, the official five G network of the National. Football League, easy for him to say. All right, fill in the blank. I'd say there's a blank percent chance Aaron Rodgers is a Tennessee Titan next season. Let me just say this. He's reportedly 
buying land in a Nashville suburb. He's reportedly open to playing for the Titans. The only problem is the Titans owe Ryan Tannehill $29 million fully guaranteed next year, and the cap hit for trading him before June 1 would be $28 million. All that said, what's the percentage chance that Aaron Rodgers is a member of the defending one seeds from the AFC? 7.46%. Um, <laughs> and the reason is not only because of the money they owe Tannehill and everything, and look, they get out of it if they want to cripple their team. I get it. And if Rodgers desperately wanted to go there, uh, they'd probably find a way to make it work. I still think the leader in the clubhouse is Denver, Mike. I'm going to go old school Price is Right. And I think the Price is Right is still on. I haven't watched it in years. But when they bring the four people down and they bid on that whatever it is, I'm going to go 7.47%. Because I think it's higher than that. And all I got to do is edge you out by one one hundredth of a percentage point, and I'll be closer to being right. So I'll go seven point four seven. Wait a minute, but I, I agree said seven point eight percent actually. Oh, okay, then I'm seven point eight one. But uh, but anyway, I I, th- I think there's a chance. And hey, if I'm going to the AFC and I'm Aaron Rodgers, that's the team I'm going to. I don't want to mess with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the total games of the seventeen I play every year. Put me in the AFC South where the Jaguars are the Jaguars, the Texans are the Texans, and the Colts can be had, especially if you add Aaron Rodgers to a team that was the number one seed. Despite And not, not that Ryan Tannehill's bad, but three interceptions in the divisional round game, they'd potentially be the team playing in the Super Bowl right now if they had better quarterback play in the postseason. Blank was the happiest when they heard Tom Brady was retiring. Uh, Arthur Smith. Because if you look at what's happened to the Atlanta Falcons in this postseason, number one, the defending Super Bowl champions don't have a quarterback. They're in semi-chaos. They've got cap issues. Number two, the New Orleans Saints are in semi-chaos. They don't have Sean Payton. They don't have a firm quarterback. Number three, the Carolina Panthers. They're not sure who their quarterback is, and they're not sure how much longer the head coach is going to be the head coach. So I think this completes a dizzying but very happy month for Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and, um, you know, I was going to try to think of a quarterback who would be the happiest because that quarterback has a chance to catch Tom Brady's seven. There's nobody that's got a chance. Nobody's currently got a chance to catch Tom Brady's seven. Nobody. Uh, I'll say I'll say the Rams were the happiest because they saw in Brady's final game what he's capable of doing even when you're up 24 points late in the third quarter. You take him out of the mix, the Buccaneers are a team that you just write off, and it maybe sets the Rams up to be pretty damn good next year too. I think the Pro Bowl is blank, and please, please, no profanity. Meaningless not at all on my radar and a game that I will not turn on to either watch or to listen to the sideline interviews. And I've felt that way for a long time. I think slash I know the Pro Bowl is profitable. It's the only reason it exists. It otherwise has no purpose. And as we've evolved, 
Remember when the commissioner used to huff and puff about the quality of the play in the Pro Bowl? At some point he realized you can't reconcile that with our supposed sensitivity to player health and safety because if we really do care about player health and safety, you don't gather them together for a meaningless postseason exhibition game. You let them go heal their bumps and bruises. You don't subject them to further injury. You let them go home and enjoy a few months of rest and relaxation before you fire the cannons again. If it, if, it, if it was not making a lot of money, Peter, it would not exist. And it's why Goodell now tolerates glorified two-hand touch in pads and helmets. I don't know. You know, I, I can't figure out why anybody would really care about this game, why teams and cities would go crazy, not go crazy, but would compete to have the game in their cities. I don't know. It's to me it's you're almost to pay a lot of money to have the game there. You're almost paying appearance fees for stars. That's that's what it's all about now. To get the stars to come in your city and maybe to make some appearances and all that. But Mike, you know, over and over again, I remember it was maybe I don't know, 3 years ago where, and I forget which position group it was, but normally this position group would have six people, you know, at the, at the Pro Bowl. And so there were 13 players listed as having been Pro Bowlers at that position because seven people dropped out. It's just, it's just nonsense. It's just, it's, it's all nonsense. And it's one of the reasons why when we have our Hall of Fame meeting every year, I, I kind of draw a line of demarcation around year 2000, but number of Pro Bowls by a player in the last 25 years means absolutely, totally nothing to me. And it doesn't mean a lot in the years before that either. I'm surprised more guys didn't pull out of this year's Pro Bowl. Maybe they are happy to go to Las Vegas for an all-expenses-paid trip, but I have a feeling more and more of these Pro Bowls will happen in Vegas and stay in Vegas. We will be drafting the best Super Bowl storylines. Eventually, the Super Bowl will be in Vegas. We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Knowing how you grew up with your dad being a coach, did you always want to be a quarterback? And um, if so, what what other positions did you play? And if not, what kind of was the reason why you picked quarterback um, to be the position you wanted to play? Well, I didn't, I didn't pick quarterback. I got to my first peewee practice and the coach at the time coach sam smathers i still see him all the time when i go back back home and he basically just asked me if i wanted to be quarterback i said no not really but then he was like well you're going to be quarterback too bad (laughs) and if you weren't a quarterback what position would you play Uh, i wanted to be a running back or a receiver i don't know i don't know why i just (laughs) i guess i thought in peewee football we weren't going to throw the ball very much so i wanted to have the ball in my hand Uh, Obviously, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. Uh, you know, this is my career. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd be a, an NFL wide receiver. I'd, that's probably a pipe dream, but I can play quarterback pretty well. You know, there's a very important truth in what Joe Burrow said there. So many careers are made or or destroyed preemptively by where players get pigeonholed the first time they show up to play football, Peter. Mike, I've got a great tease for you. In my column on Monday, I had lunch with uh, 
Jimmy Burrow, Joe's dad, in uh, the Plains, Ohio this week, a suburb of Athens, <laughs> you know, at Ohio University. But, uh, and we talked about Joe's sort of athletic history as a kid. And you'll be really, really surprised at, you know, the path that he took. Because when he was in middle school, there was no indication or very little indication that he was going to be a quarterback. But you'll get a kick out of that. I hate to tease it, but you'll read that in my column on Monday. Coming Monday on ProFootballTalk.com, you'll see it as the main headline all morning long, Peter King's Football Morning in America. Best Super Bowl 56 storylines, Peter. What do you got? You're up first. I'll take number one. I'll take Joe Burrow's ascension to with a win into the quarter, quarterback pantheon. I mean, right now, Mike, I think probably most people would say, in some order, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, then a line of demarcation, then Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and, and look, obviously Aaron Rodgers, but I'm talking about for the next 10 years. And, and the NFL's in great quarterback shape for the next 10 years. But I think... Joe Burrow wins this game. He gets right up there in the pantheon with, uh, you know, with Mahomes and Josh Allen. For me, it's the potential of the Matthew Stafford Career Achievement Award. He's been around since 2009. Peter, my first trip to NBC on a Sunday afternoon was the day that he worked his way back into the game against the Browns and threw the touchdown pass to win the game. And the room exploded, and I think we all thought, hey, this guy's going to be pretty good. Maybe he is going to reverse the curse of Bobby Lane. Spoiler alert, he did not. But in his first year with the Rams, he's on the brink of a Super Bowl. He's in the Super Bowl. He's on the brink of the victory 13 years after entering the league. This is his opportunity to get to where we thought he was going to be a long time ago. The next storyline for me, Mike, would be the Bengals, uh, who have been alive for 54 years. I think I'm right. They were born in 1968. Uh, The brainchild of Paul Brown bitter that he had been driven out by Art Modell in Cleveland. So he went 270 miles to the Southwest and he invented a new franchise in Cincinnati, this burgeoning sports city with a big red machine owning everything. But at that time, there was no great sports history necessarily in Cincinnati, as great as it was going to be uh, in the next few years. And The Bengals have never won a Super Bowl. And for the Bengals to finally have a chance to win one in such a stunning, stunning uh, bit of quickness, uh, I just think would be an incredible storyline. I'm kind of sticking with the Rams here, but it also applies to the Bengals. Aaron Donald and his opportunity to finally get a Super Bowl victory after what will be his second Super Bowl game, combined with the Bengals' ability to stop him. Nine sacks allowed of Joe Burrow in the divisional round win over the Titans. Last week, we saw Burrow escape sacks multiple times. Can Donald get through that line and get home? We saw the speech that Aaron Donald gave when things were going poorly against the 49ers on Sunday. Can he lift this team and lift himself to his first Super Bowl victory? Let's go ahead and take a break. We have one more round each in the best storylines for Super Bowl 56 draft. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, 
And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Best storylines for the uh, 56th Super Bowl, today's draft. There are the first two rounds. Peter, round three, you are away. You know, I will say that it's a weird and sort of esoteric one, but it's the young coach storyline. You've got two coaches under the age of 40. You've got the NFL being in love with the Sean McVay tree. How crazy is it, Mike? Tell me, how crazy is it that the Sean McVay tree has been more productive and more fruitful than the Bill Belichick tree? Tell me that. How bizarre, Unbelievable. how totally, absolutely bizarre is it? And it's true. That's my third storyline of the week. And that's a great one. I hadn't really thought of that, but you do have a guy who Super Bowl 53 was working for Sean McVay, who is now facing Sean McVay when McVay gets back. I'm going with how many who day? How many, how many Bengals fans are going to be at SoFi Stadium? I'm fascinated by that angle because, look, we, we know the Super Bowl crowd is kind of wine and cheese, but still, still, there are fans who will make the trek. There are fans who will take over a city, take over a stadium. I remember being in New York for Super Bowl 48, Broncos, Seahawks. And I remember the night before the game thinking, holy crap, the Seahawks are going to win because we thought the Broncos would win. The Seahawks fans were everywhere. And I have a feeling, Peter, when we get out to L.A., there is going to be a huge contingent as the week unfolds of more and more and more Bengals fans. And I think they are going to be loud and they are going to be present. They're not going to maybe take over the stadium like the 49ers did, but I think it's going to be a factor. When I got to Cincinnati on Monday evening, I turned on one of the newscasts. The first 34 minutes of the newscast, first 34 minutes, all Bengals with two weather reports spliced in. The Bengals will hey, be Cincinnati. represented in L.A. Hey, Cincinnati TV stations, stay out of our turf. We don't talk about your news. Don't talk about our sports. That's it for today. Enjoy. Well, we're back at 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then. Bye. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.